What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan, and today for Scott Wapner from Center this hour, the setup for investors as we enter the critical 24-hour period ahead for your money because we're going to have this key inflation report. That's on deck, as you know, plus more earnings coming our way. Our investment committee is standing by to help us navigate it all. Joining us for the hour is Joe Terranova, Amy Raskin, Steve Weiss, and Rob Seachin. Let's get a check-in on the, on the markets here. As we take over here at the exchange, we are seeing the lows of the session for the Dow. If you can look at the chart, you can see sort of a noticeable down trickle in the last hour or so. Information technology, those big cap stocks, those are trending lower. NVIDIA down about 4%. Obviously, we have the big inflation data coming out tomorrow. Uh, But Joe, really, what's driving this? We knew that the inflation data was coming out tomorrow. We knew that we've had these economic worries, uh, sort of some percolating talks about impending recession, potentially coming back up again yesterday. What's going on now? Well, listen, I think the Treasury auctions are very important this week. And yesterday, after the uh, three-year auction at 1 p.m., there was a little bit of optimism markets lifted off of the lows. There was a belief that, and there was, the demand was was relatively strong. What's happened here this morning is that price has now reversed a lot of that optimism that was res, uh, represented in an end-of-day bounce, and now you have broken below yesterday's low. So a little bit of technical selling pressure. I think there's more nervousness in the 1 p.m. 10-year auction is critical today uh, because we've seen the long end of the curve where yields have been backing up. That's where this battle is going on right now with the asset management industry that's long duration and then hedge funds and speculators like Bill Ackman who are short treasuries. So the 1 p.m. Uh, 10-year treasury is going to be important. But look, overall, this is this is a market that's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I think this is healthy. It's correcting. It's targeting the 50-day moving average at 44.27. Um, and the market coming into the month of August was clearly in need of a correction. And again, the price of oil is another element that's not helping the overall sentiment. Amy, UBS is out with a note today, also expecting more volatility coming. They're talking about expectations for a minor recession, which does sort of echo some of the notes that we heard yesterday that it seemed like the market was focusing on. Are you worried about a recession? And how key is the CPI number going to be for you, your portfolio, and what the market's expectations are about what the Fed's next move may or may not be in September? I think it's a little early to worry about a recession. I do think we will get a recession eventually, but it doesn't feel like it's in the next quarter or the next half, the next six months. So I'm not as focused on recession, but typically when you see this big run-up in multiples like we saw in the first half of the year, that's followed by very strong EPS growth. And I don't think we're going to get that. I think we are in for choppy waters. Um, And as Joe was saying, the CPI is important tomorrow. There is a weirdly hard compare July, July, year over year. Last year, July, the CPI was lower. So um, I do think this this could be a noisy number. 
But when you look at when when the CPI and rates diverge, like we're having now, rates tend to be more important. And in all instances except for one, it was you, you were right to follow what's happening in rates. So if rates continue to go up, yes, I do think that we're, we're in for some choppy waters for the next six months. What do you think the chances of some strong volatility tomorrow are, Weiss? Obviously, we've seen a lot of volatility almost every time the CPI numbers come out yep. over the last 12 months in either direction. What are your expectations and how should everyone be positioned ahead of this number? Um, how should be positioned? You should be positioned in, in the stocks that you like, that you value long term. I think it's very difficult to play a number and is generally a losing proposition. So given where volatility is now, where the VIX is, and you should have protection in your portfolio anyway. But here's what's contributing to it. The market was in an overbought position. Joe and I talked about that right before the decline. Timing was prescient. More likely lucky, because you know that, that's just the nature of the markets. But then what have you had in the interim? In the interim, you had a downgrade of the U.S. You know, credit rating. Um, not a big deal. Ultimately, it means, frankly, nothing. Um, but you also had then downgraded banks. So, you know, they weren't happy with, with one rating agency being the headlines. They figured, how am I going to get back in the headlines, right? Mm -hmm. So they came downgraded some banks. Talking um, about the Moody's report. Right, the Moody's yeah. downgrade. And, um, and, and so that added to it. Then you're hearing the statistics on credit card balances and credit card delinquencies. Mm -hmm. So that's creating some more nervousness. So when you put all that together, as well as, as Joe mentioned, rising oil prices, which it's too soon to filter into core CPI, you, and I, you may see in top line, uh, it's not too soon for it to start filtering into core PPI because of the feedstock. Mm -hmm. So they ignore oil prices from the top line because the Fed focuses on the core. So you've got all those now, you know, headwinds, whereas everything was a tailwind before, you know, soft landing, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody's really questioning the soft landing that wasn't questioning it before, but that became consensus, and it became consensus that the Fed's done. So now when you start to sort of nibble away at that consensus, this is what happens. So markets go up, markets go down. You can't really get excited about it either way unless they're particular catalyst, and you never know what those catalysts are that really kill it. As far as tomorrow, going back to your original question, of course there'll be volatility. There'll be volatility, you know, not necessarily on the numbers that you see print, but what's driving those numbers, what's composing those numbers underneath. Right now, everybody, not everybody, but the majority is taking for granted that you continue to see CPI come down, you continue to see PPI come down. I personally think you're in the stubborn area and that you're starting to see people taking a look at their portfolios say, you know what? Valuation does matter. You take a look at NVIDIA. NVIDIA had all these product launches yesterday. When was the last time you didn't see the market respond positively mm. to that, right? It sold off and sold off again. So unless NVIDIA really nails a quarter, that stock's very, very vulnerable, but so is the market and the others. Talking about the super chip announcement in part yeah, yesterday yeah, yeah. and all of that. And Rob, what do you make of, of I mean, we've got NVIDIA down 4% today. Such a high flyer, such a name we talk about all the time. I mean, what's the reasoning for this? Before I say anything, it's hard for me to imagine Weiss being more impressively concise than he was right there. <laughs> you know, we all improve. Every day, we all get better. Right. Um, That's I, I, relative to Rob, though, in fairness. <laughs> so 99% of the world is concise. When I, okay. <laughs> I would say from a, from, a, from a CPI standpoint, before we get to the valuation ceiling that we, we appear to have hit, 
um, and, the, and the broadening out of the market. It's hard for me to imagine, even if we get a downward print, that it's going to act, the market's going to be a coiled spring and, and, and really rally from here. And that's partly because you've seen valuations, which momentum has turned on. Momentum began to turn on tech valuations in really mid, mid-July, and we've since given up a lot, but I don't think it's enough. You have portfolio managers, I think, really scrambling to make sure that their position in names, as, Scott, as Steve has said, for a lower valuation regime. And so we, Amy was talking about it with me before the show, we are all trimming our winners that are exceedingly expensive, even though the businesses are delivering. And it's because those businesses have to deliver exceptionally for there not to be earnings in the in the price risk that's associated with it. The other side about the technology names is they are incredibly exposed to rates. So let's say we don't get what we think, which is this continued golden path trajectory that the Fed's on, this disinflationary kind of path. Um, I, I do think that it poses more risk for high valuation names, and that's partly why we've been thinking about trimming and being thoughtful in those names. So it's, it's an environment where you have to be selective in which you own. Amy, you are trimming some NVIDIA as well. We did. We recently, we just completed our okay. trim of NVIDIA. So this was the second time this year we've trimmed the name. It had nothing to do with the announcements yesterday. Okay. Um, just managing position size. Um, you know, we've owned NVIDIA for a decade now. So it's, it's you know, been a great stock for a long time. Um, just managing the position size, keeping it in check. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an interesting note here about um, Apple from Bespoke, too, talking about Apple shares falling 7% since earnings last Friday, trading below the 50-day moving, a- moving average and 136 trading days dating back to January 20th. Does that tell you anything about the technical nature of the market and what may be following? Since Apple is so core, no pun intended, <laughs> to so many ETFs, index funds, and just general portfolio holdings. Without question. I don't think it's Apple alone. I think it's also Tesla that has been in decline. It's kind of following the seasonal script uh, that you ex- expect after a July mm-hmm. earnings season. Um, it's pulling back into the supportive moving averages. And I think you just set an expectation right now. I think that's what investors need to do. They need to set the expectation. They need to understand, uh, in fact, what Amy has done with her positioning in NVIDIA. Is it time to begin to scale back some of the positioning size? I'm not suggesting to get out of the mega caps but to take a look at what your ownership is in the mega caps. On Monday, I discussed potentially having an equally weighted strategy relative to a market cap weighted strategy. Let's still own the mega caps, but let's respect what the overall positioning size is. So, no, I I, I don't think any of this should be surprising to investors. I think there's a seasonal normalcy to it. And given the overextended technical nature that Stephen talked about, Apple pulling back below its 50-day moving average, I don't, I don't think that's problematic at all. I think that's more healthy. And speaking of mega, tap, mega cap tech, Weiss, you own Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta. How are you feeling about that ownership right now as well, we're watching? I, I, I've, trimmed, uh, I've trimmed Amazon, I've trimmed Meta, okay. uh, because if you bought these stocks, you have a lot bigger position as a percentage of your portfolio than you did when they started, because mm-hmm. they've done well. So I've trimmed those. Um, look, I... Um, Meta is cheap relative to the others. Uh, Microsoft will be the biggest beneficiary of AI uh, because the full product, you know, renewal that they're going to have to revamp, you're going to have to buy into it. 
So short term, I'm not surprised by, by the decline in these names. Um, but, you know, you're back to where you were with, with Meta. I mean, you're back to where you were a few weeks ago right, before the earnings. Then it went back up, right? So you sold off 10% when threads, when users started going away after the big sign-up, right? That drove 330, you came back 297, wherever it was. Then you went back up to 330. Now you're back 305. So it's not a surprise. That's just the nature of the market in owning these stocks. They're not overvalued, in my view, versus the others. So Microsoft, yes, yeah, slightly overvalued. Maybe now it's coming a little into more reasonable range, but markets are volatile. And you just can't make something of these moves. These are really negligible moves in terms of how they performed over the last year or two years. So if you want to be in it, you just have to just ignore it and get on with your life. And, and Rob, you, Meta, you're in Meta. You're in some other mega cap tech, but Meta is the only one that you're overweight. Why? Uh, that was our stock summit pick coming into the year. It's uh, basically what Steve said, real advertising price coming into the year was inexpensive. It's still relatively inexpensive. A refocus on the core business, which has driven enthusiasm around the name. And when we think about the others that we own, which are Apple, Microsoft, and, and Google, you know, Google has some of those same other trends. Alphabet has same, same, some of the same trends that you're seeing in Meta, but the other two, which are two of our largest holdings, just by nature of their size in the index, those are names that we've trimmed throughout the year because of price, not because of business. And if you think about Apple right now, just to bring it back full circle, you really want to stand on the other side of that cash wall and be underweight with the opportunity that they have with cash. And from a valuation perspective, it's gotten pretty expensive. So, you know, we've decided to be neutral to the index there. We've also been overweight Microsoft all year and also just based on valuation, and, and the most recent earnings report pulled back to a neutral value, a neutral stance. So I think it's also tough for, I think most of us manage money for taxable investors, mm -hmm. and it's really hard to be too cute and completely jettison these names. So your positioning relative to the index can have a really big impact. Fair enough. Well, let's get to our chart of the day. WTI crude oil hitting its highest level of the year. Joe brought this up earlier as energy stocks try for their longest weekly win streak since January. So really interesting moves there. And Joe, I want to go back to you because you brought that up. I mean, what what are the drivers here? Is it technical? Is it fundamental? Is this suggesting the economy is rebounding around the world? So let's kind of walk through all of it. But let's let's be clear on one thing. This will be, I believe, front and center for the next several weeks. Where are the prices for not only oil, but the price as well for natural gas. As we're speaking, natural gas got above $3. It last was above $3 in March. So, you know, think first about CPI. Last time we got a CPI report, the price of oil was $75. The price of oil, as we're talking, is 83 and a quarter. Last time we had an inflation report, the price of natural gas was $2.60. Obviously, as I just said, it's $3. So a very interesting dynamic. Predicting the price of oil is very difficult to do, but it's obvious oil is at the upper end of its range. In fact, this morning, uh, spot oil took out its high for the year. So. What's going on? We obviously have the intensification of rhetoric uh, and actual uh, military conflict in the Black Sea between Russia and Ukraine. There's a concern there surrounding uh, potential exports of oil. And on the other side of that, which is rather peculiar, domestic oil production 
is at its highest level since March of 2020 at 12.6 million barrels per day. So domestic oil supply is rising. The concern is about demand. You've got these perplexing conditions currently that exist for the price of oil. And collectively, I think what you do with all that information is you have to maintain your exposure to energy. And, and I said this on our last quarterly rebalance. I was remarkably surprised that we took the energy weighting higher from 10% up to 11%. And that's well above the 4% for the S&P 500. So some favorite names, I mentioned Valero the other day. Schlumberger, Hess, Halliburton, Marathon, Petroleum. These are all ways to get energy exposure. And I think you need to maintain that energy exposure because energy is going to be front and center here for the next several weeks. And by the way, hurricane season. Oh, yeah. Don't forget about that. Rob? Yeah, so I think this was our favorite pick for the second half of the year, energy. Now, truthfully, we've been overweight energy for a bit, but not as, not <laughs> as overweight. And I think Many investors have given up. Positioning is light. Um, valuations are not stretched at all, and it serves as a geopolitical hedge. Now, listen to some of these stats. Last year, we had $28 billion in inflows into tech, $20 billion in outflows from energy. Still trades at 12 times. And if oil prices kind of continue their ascent, it throws a wrench into this disinflationary narrative. And so we're using energy as a hedge hmm. to that golden path that we're on. Hmm. And so far, it looks like it's working in the second half. And Amy, it sounds like you you believe in what Rob is saying to the point that they're not expensive, that they're relatively right. cheap. They are relatively cheap and they have really bad earnings and they weathered really it very bad. well. So I think that's a very good sign. It just tells you expectations are very low. Um, but also to Joe's point on the supply side, you also have OPEC talking about a lot of discipline and cutting back production. So you don't have, even though the U.S. is at all time, is at relative highs, um, globally supply is still constrained and that's very good. And as long as capital discipline it remains controlled, which it has been, which it hasn't ever been this controlled in past cycles. These stocks look like they're good cash flow generators. Again, as Rob said, they're under-owned, they're inexpensive. Um, and I think oil demand is still going up. I mean, even though global growth is slow, um, it's not, we're not, and, and people are buying EVs, we're still not seeing a decline in oil demand. And I think that's going to continue. So as long as the threat of we're never going to use, we're not going to use oil a decade from now, that's going to keep capital investment constrained and probably make these stocks work. Do you have some favorite names in the space? So we own EOG, Schlumberger, and Champion X, and, okay. and Shell. Those okay, are so, so two yeah. I own EOG yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. A, a, another uh, exceptional name to own if you want exposure uh, to energy. Cotera yeah. Energy, yeah. another name you could uh, look at as well. Yeah, and the, the correlation in this group is very, very high. So, you know, it, it really, yes, we, we have some names that our research likes and, and has identified, um, but you know, if, if energy works, energy is going to work. And I don't think you go wrong with Exxon or Chevron. Mm -hmm. You know, you could go with the large uh, international majors as well to get the exposure. The key is what gives you the margin of safety in some of these names if the call's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And those are the best executors in the space. That's why you mentioned EOG. That's why Joe mentioned EOG. That's why we own EOG, one of the most efficient operators in the space. And you know, when, when the oil market corrects, when pricing corrects, these names tend to do a little better. There's names that are very levered to it, and there's names that are not quite as sensitive to it. 
Well, I don't want to pick on you, Weiss, but I think you're the only one on the desk with no energy ownership. Why not? Any of these uh, arguments sort of getting you juiced up about the idea? Because well, Joe owns so much energy, <laughs> and I'm in Joe T, so that, that's that's my exposure. Okay. Uh, owns but I'm, I'm also, I, I own Freeport, so Freeport's a decent-sized position. Sure. And that also benefits from commodity growth, I mean, at the end of the day, oil. And I mm-hmm. think there's, there's speculation in both asset classes, both commodities, uh, that drive it, perhaps more so the fundamentals, both up and down. But I'm very comfortable in, uh, in Freeport because that will benefit from EVs. Uh, copper pricing is doing okay. It's far from the highs, but I think the trend will be higher. And given my view on China, which I think will stimulate and has stimulated aggressively, that'll drive copper even higher, as it will oil. So, um, so that's, that's how I'm playing it. It's not as direct, but it benefits from the same fundamentals. Fair enough. I think we're going to dig into China a little bit later. But we're going to check out shares of Disney turning lower ahead of earnings due out later this afternoon. So we're going to get you ready for that. That's coming up next on Halftime. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Halftime. Disney earnings are due out today after the bell. And in addition to today's deal with Penn Entertainment, investors will also be focused on streaming, parks, and so much more. Our Julia Borston joins us now from Los Angeles with the setup. Hi, Julia. Well, Courtney, Disney's facing challenges raising, ranging from an ad contraction to cord cutting, plus concerns about the performance of its Florida parks, widening losses in the direct-to-consumer division, and big questions about the future of Disney's strategy around streaming as well as linear TV. Now, the company's revenue is expected to grow 4.6%, while earnings per share are projected to decline 11% thanks to those widening losses in the company's direct-to-consumer streaming business. Now, ESPN is sure to be in focus this afternoon on the company's earnings call on the heels of the sports giant announcing it's launching a branded sports book with Penn Entertainment in a $2 billion cash and stock deal. Now, this comes after CEO Bob Iger said he's looking for minority investors in ESPN, and we've reported that he's talking to the NBA, MLB, NFL, and NHL. Now, there are some other key topics Iger is sure to be asked about on today's call in addition to ESPN. His plans for Hulu, its integration into Disney, Plus, as well as his plans to buy out Comcast's minority stake, his interest in selling Disney's linear TV networks, and of course, any commentary Iger has on the impact of the writers and actors strike that Courtney continues to drag on. 
Yeah, that's right, Julie. There is so much going on with this. I know that you're going to have a lot of uh, action to bring us later today and, of course, into tomorrow. Thank you so much. Amy, I'm going to turn to you because you own Disney. I understand yep. it's a small position. Sure. Still, what are you looking for today? Julia just ran us through a laundry <laughs> list of There's things. There's so many things to focus on tonight, um, and we are not big quarter-to-quarter -quarter investors. We're long-term investors. Um, we did trim Disney back earlier in the year to a relatively small position. I do like it long-term. I think they have great content, they have great assets um, like ESPN that they can monetize, but it's going to be messy and they're competing with, um, they're competing in the streaming market with, against players that just have very deep, deep pockets like the Apples and, you, and Googles of the world, which makes it noisy and I think people are going to focus on the streaming losses and, and I do think that's going to take a while to turn around. So longer term, I don't think Disney's ever been this cheap relative, you know, to itself in history. History, but there is a lot of, there is reason for that cheapness. It seems, your, it seems right. like your expectations are pretty low. My expectations are pretty low. And I think everybody's <laughs> expectations, I think it's been the worst performer in the Dow, you know, so I think expectations are low. So I wouldn't be surprised actually if they exceeded these low expectations, but there, are, there is a lot of hair. There's a lot of noise. Um, there's a lot of moving parts going on. And, um, and so, you know, look, I think if anyone could do it, Iger could do it, but then you also have the succession who comes after Iger. So it's sort of, there's a lot of pros, but everybody's now focused on the cons. I'm not sure when that changes. Um, I do think at some point it does change, but it, at probably not anytime very soon. Weiss, if you're looking for a winner when it comes to streaming, it looks like Netflix is your go-to, not Disney. Netflix is, but it, it's not a core position. I actually trimmed a little of that as well, uh, but st still own it. Uh, you have to buy Netflix when it's down. Netflix is in the driver's seat because Netflix isn't worried about balance sheet, whether they should be or not, because they've got a huge spend is a different question. But all the other streaming services, which I don't think were competitive with Netflix to begin with, from product standpoint, from customer standpoint, uh, they're all under pressure. So they're all cutting back in content, and this is a business where content is king. So, so I think Netflix will, will do quite well. It'll bounce back. It has these up and down quarters based on subscriber growth. This time, there are a couple other factors involved in, in the decline. But, uh, but they are absolutely the clear winner with the biggest reach. So that's why I'm there. And Joe, you're not in Disney and you're sold, selling out or sold out of Netflix. Well, we, we took profit on Netflix. Um, okay. as, as far as Disney, look, it's something that I think for all investors, they should be focused on. They should be aware. I think the turnaround is, is beginning. The initial stages yeah. of it are there. There is clearly a lot of work to do. For instance, uh, they, they have to uh, negotiate on the NBA contract, would end, which ends at the end of the 24-25 season. And you're talking about that coming at a price tag that's probably four times what the current price tag is now. So there, there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do. I think the worst has passed. I don't know if I would sit here today with Disney trading somewhere around $85 to $90 and say, okay, you want to bet on it going uh, lower further. Um, but to Amy's point, there's, there, there, there's, it's not as if there's going to be a single catalyst right. to get this stock going. It's, it's the collective of just kind of overcoming the challenges that they've been hamstrung by over the last year. They've got to get through all these difficulties. I don't think it's a one single thing. I think the price action today is somewhat evident of that. Hmm. I thought there would be more excitement surrounding this relationship uh, to where they're not an actual sports betting entity, but they have the relationship with Penn.
Right, right. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's fascinating and adds another layer of interest, certainly, on the call today. And hopefully we'll get a little bit more details. Let's move over to the headlines with Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa. The Biden administration is announcing a new system to track heat-related illness. Officials said the national dashboard would map emergency services responding to heat-related illness calls and create the EMS heat tracker to ensure medical aid gets to the people who most need it. WeWork isn't sure it can stay in business. The co-working space provider is facing losses in a tight cash pile amid major changes in the way people work. The interim CEO says the startup that was once worth $47 billion is now seeing fewer memberships and more churn. The stock has fallen 95 percent since going public and is valued at around only $450 million now. And AMC is looking to expand its branded food offerings beyond popcorn to chocolate and gummy candies. The CEO of the theater chain says those new items could be at the concession stand by late this year or early next year. AMC will continue to sell other companies' products, but it expects the higher margin private label candy will help boost profits. Courtney, back over to you. Private label gummies. Okay, (laughs) I guess. Why not? Give it a try. Pippa, thank you very much. Well, coming up, our call of the day, a big downgrade for one beaten down cloud stock. We have ownership on the desk, so we'll debate the call when halftime returns. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Halftime. Now for our call of the day. Stiefel downgrading Datadog to hold from buy. The stock is extending yesterday's losses when it posted its second worst day ever after issuing weak guidance. Joe, you own this name, so we have the opportunity to talk about it with you today. What do you think? Talk about what I did. So <laughs> in early May, I bought, uh, I bought this stock at $86. A lot of the reasoning was I believe this infrastructure software company would be a leader in generative AI. The stock rallied subsequent to that. I sold half my position at 96. I still maintain the other half of the position today. I look at it statistically from a risk management perspective. My break even is somewhere slightly above $76. Um, The reasoning on maintaining the position today, and by the way, I expect this stock to continue to be under pressure because it was one of the favorite infrastructure emerging software names on Wall Street. Um, The guidance was not good, That's, that's clear. Um, the bookings, you could make the argument, was, was okay, supportive. But I bought the stock on the belief that in the long term, this company would be a significant contributor and part of that winner-take-all universe for generative AI. So it's about how you manage a position and what flexibility you're able to give yourself. Getting out of half at 96 allows me to stay in the position a little bit longer, give them the benefit of the doubt, and to see ultimately if they could utilize generative AI to increase revenue. But I want to be very candid on this. Right now, the momentum is down. The pressure is clearly pointed to the downside. And if I had to guess, I'm probably going to get stopped out of, the, out of this stock before the generative AI contribution. And the stock will end up being a scratch for me as terms of a trade. 
I mean, Amy, obviously, Steeple may be a little late to this one. Obviously, the stock is down about, what, 17% or so. So downgrading it now, it's like, okay, obviously. And the, right. the guidance going forward is is not good. Um, generally, though, is this a stock that you would look for for an opportunity in general of AI, or do you believe that's just going to come too late? In general, we're not looking. We do own some names in the space. We don't own Datadog. But in general, as, as Rob said earlier, we've been moving down valuation in our stocks. Um, Cadence Design Systems, which is a name we've Great owned company. forever, which we love. Um, it, it has had a fantastic year. We trimmed it recently. It had a blowout quarter, blowout earnings, blowout guidance, and the stock was up 2 or 3%. And that just tells me that there's a lot of good news baked into these names already. And so you need to get blowout numbers, which is go in this, in this environment, it's going to be hard. Companies just don't have the budgets. They're not raising their IT budgets 20 30%. Yes, they're spending on generative AI, but I think a lot of them still don't even know what that really means. Mm -hmm. So you're, and they don't have the money to go whole hog into this right now. So I think, I, I do think um, this space has gotten overdone. Um, we're going to probably wait for even greater pullbacks to, in, to get more in, interested. In, in addition, the bar has been raised significantly because the, the software sector is one of the sectors where earnings are expected to be up in 23 and 24. So not only do you have all these demographics in play, you, you have a higher bar to jump over later on. And so you have to be really focused on what you own. You have to love it. And you have to make sure it's priced right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Amy brings up a point about how expensive Datadog is as well. And Rob, you also own Cadence Design. We do. I mean, listen, this is, a, this is a, a, a beneficiary of semiconductor design needs and the whole investment in the AI infrastructure. So it's a, it's a, it's a great business, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, this is an area where we need to have intense focus, but also probably some intense scrutiny because so much of it is still unknown. But And if you listen to the Cadence call, what was so interesting, they were talking a lot about AI, but he, then he went back to all the other like things. It was like, well, at some point it was autonomous driving. At some point it was 5G. At some point it was cryptocurrency. We've had these fads <laughs> sort of come and go that have been driving R&D in, in all these markets. So I, I don't think it, it it's it's... It, there's always something, there's always the next thing. So you want the company that can flex and move to whatever people are focused on. There's, only, the five, there's only five stocks left in the Joe ETF that have been owned since inception in November of 2020. And Cadence Design is <laughs> one of them. And it's probably one of the least talked about software, you know, sure. technology True. companies uh, on our show, but it's a remarkably resilient, profitable company, and it has uh, such, a, such a moat uh, within its business universe. It, 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 it's something that I would buy even here today at 224. Cadence, we need to bookmark that one, come back to that one again. But we have some breaking news on Apple we want to get to. Steve Kovac has the headlines. What's going on here, Steve? Hey there, Court. Yes, yeah, some news out of the Supreme Court uh, saying that uh, this is in the long-going case uh, between Epic Games, that's the company that makes Fortnite, and Apple. You might remember a few years ago, they, uh, Epic sued them. Uh, basically saying that before this uh, case can get to the Supreme Court, Apple is allowed to keep its current payment rules for in-app payments. You know, this is a big, contentious thing between developers that Apple takes a cut of every transaction. Um, in the original case, Apple lost only one count of the several counts in there that said, 
developers basically can't put messaging in their apps that tell people, hey, you can go outside of the Apple ecosystem to make these payments. Uh, Justice Kagan, according to Reuters, uh, putting out a ruling saying Apple is allowed to continue doing that until this uh, case gets to be heard. This is a minor setback for uh, Epic Games, rather. uh, But still, this case has a long way to go before uh, it's finalized court. Thank you very much for bringing us that update, Steve. Obviously, shares of Apple moving lower. We talked about earlier in the show how they are below the 50-day moving average. Well, coming up next, new developments out of Washington this hour as the White House takes aim at investing in China. The fallout for the China trade when halftime returns. We're watching a developing story out of D.C. The White House is planning to detail new restrictions on certain American investments in China. Our Amin Javers is at the White House with some more information. Hi, Amin. Hey there, Courtney. It's been in the works for months, but it looks like today is going to be the day that the Biden administration releases a new executive order to restrict some U.S. investment in high-tech industries in China. Among the sectors expected to be impacted by this announcement are quantum computing, artificial intelligence, and advanced semiconductors. Also expected is a reporting process for investors to disclose their Chinese deals to U.S. authorities across a much wider range of investment types. We don't expect investments outside these specific high-tech high tech sectors to be prohibited here today. Uh, And we do expect a detailed announcement to come at four o'clock this afternoon. A couple things to watch for in this will be how long industry has to weigh in before the rule goes into effect, exactly which technologies end up being listed in this and how or if the investment disclosures will be protected from public disclosure. Now, the announcement comes at a time of increasing tension between Washington and Beijing and ahead of a trip to Beijing later this month by Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. She'll be the latest in a series of cabinet officials to conduct high-level talks in China aimed at reducing those same tensions. The move today, though, is going to play into a discussion of decoupling of the American and Chinese economies. But in some ways, it reinforces a trend, Courtney, that's really already been taking place. Foreign direct investment in China has fallen an astonishing 67 percent since the five years before the pandemic to the lowest level since those records began began being kept 25 years ago. So in some ways, that decoupling is sort of already happening no matter what, what the White House does. But we'll watch here for the specific rules later today. Courtney, back over to you. Yeah, very interesting, sort of this slow breakup, but that's widely predicted. Thank you very much, Eamon Javers, for bringing that to us. You know, Weiss, I know for a long time you were bearish on China, but you've kind of dipped your toe back in the water with Alibaba, with Baidu. When you hear things like this, when you hear about this further decoupling, does that give you pause? No, it actually uh, emboldens me. Because as you cut back on on foreign investment, which has been happening for a while, and it accelerated when we saw what happened with Russia, right? You don't want to be a U.S. company with having major assets there. And frankly, it hasn't worked out for a lot. For as many as it's worked out, like Yum, et cetera, it's been a disaster for others. Um, so here's why it emboldens me. Because if you're losing foreign capital coming in, and you're gonna, and you've got youth unemployment stated at 21 percent. But as I've said, it could even be double. Who knows, right? Uh, she is has has to has to provide major liquidity to the economy there. So I'm not investing in companies that are doing business outside the U.S. I'm investing in domestic companies that will do quite well there. Alibaba has a number of triggers also. They're going to spin off a number of their businesses, so that will create value on some of the parts basis. So that's why I'm not worried about it. I think this just actually helps my case because you're losing the foreign capital. You need more domestic capital. So do you, does anybody really think 
that China is so different that it won't do what has been done in every other country, low rates, stimulus, injecting as much as you can in the economy to get growth going. You've got to do that. Otherwise, she will be out of power before you know. How much of it, though, Steve, is pushing on a string right now? Uh, I mean, the old playbook doesn't always work, focusing on fixed investment. And, you know, it becomes a little uh, a little more challenging in an environment like this. And with all the the, the undertones about, you know, what, what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, the possibility of Taiwan, I mean, these are political right. risks that are you know, more, more significant, I think, than we've seen in the past. Uh, definitely more significant with Taiwan, he said, by the end of the decade. But you can't be blind to what's happened with Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if Russia, Ukraine didn't happen, you know, Taiwan would be in more of a glide path towards conflict. But look, it's, it's very complicated. Taiwan Semi, Taiwan Semi has major facilities in China. So it's all interlinked. There are lots of things you'd have to unwind. Now, sure, maybe they just take over the facility. They've done that before. Mm-hmm. So, so I just don't think that, I think there's a possibility they go after Taiwan, but not anytime soon, and maybe not ever, given what's happened, right? Yeah. Would you do it? I mean, so, so they've got an economy that's really not good. It's deflationary. Mm-hmm. That's not good for a population. That's not good for the ruling party. So they've got to change it around. Joe, quickly, I know you're in Yum China. Yeah, and it's a trade. And that's all this is. And and everything that we're talking about with China, it is about a trade. If you could identify domestic consumption, which Yum China is, then you've got a reason to be in China. Otherwise, you think about China, you think about the emerging markets. And there are other places to go in the emerging markets now. India recently traded to an Mm all-time high. Brazil is cutting rates. Mexico has paused on its rate hikes. Indonesia is going to cut rates. So there's other opportunities. The supply chain is moving away from China. It is going to Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam. The emerging market story is finally more about a universe, a basket of sovereigns that have investment, that have earnings growth and have consumption, not about a narrow concentration to what China's doing. And I, I didn't put it on as a hedge, but Jacobs, which had a good quarter, stocks done very well, that's to take advantage of the onshoring the supply okay. chain. So, so, but I think I'll do pretty well in China, but again, a trade, I know well, all the rest. We could have a whole show on this, <laughs> but we gotta yeah. move on. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Halftime report, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. Mike, it looks like we're sort of reversing direction a little bit for the major averages off session lows. Yeah, it seems like there's at least a tentative effort, and it's been calm in the last uh, few days, actually, Cordy, to have a little bit of a bounce attempt. Yesterday was was strong. Today's also started right around the time of the European close. Uh, we're, we're continually, though, testing uh, and actually going through last week's lows. So if you just looked at a multi-day chart, like a 10-day S&P chart there, you see that this sort of downtrend that's been connecting all the highs from the day is starting to develop. That has people's attention. Again, it's very short term. I think we're in this multi-week process started at the last CPI report in July, uh, where we kind of celebrated uh, that we had soft landing uh, as the premise for what was going on so that we had a heightened sensitivity to anything that threatens that happy scenario, which would mean higher yields. It would mean uh, maybe no longer a linear decline in inflation, uh, energy stocks going up, energy prices going up. I think it's really just an excuse for some necessary consolidation. We can still go down a few percent from here and still have it be the case that it's a normal 
a pullback, but it, you get jumpy this time of year because you never know where there's going to be something that really knocks things further off course. It is August as yeah. well. Thank you very much, Mike Santoli. Appreciate you joining us, of course. Amy, you are making a move in the retail space. We're going to break down that trade, so hold on to it. Coming up next. Welcome back to Halftime. Amy, you are making another move in your portfolio. You're trimming LVMH. Why? Does sure. this have anything to do with China? It's, it, we're, China's not the primary reason we're trimming it. Um, it. It is a contributor, but what where LVMH really saw weakness last quarter was in the U.S. aspirational consumer. And just generally speaking, we're, we're more concerned about the global consumer. Global short rates have gone up a lot. Um, the consumer has been uh, amazingly robust for, given that condition, and we're just getting a little bit more concerned with the consumer going forward from here. So we trimmed LVMH. We also trimmed Inditex, which is the owner of Zara, which has been a great stock and a big position for us. We're not out of them. This is our second trim of LVMH actually this year. Um, but so we're just just sort of moving away from, from the consumer a bit. And, and when we're looking at, at the consumer, many of the consumer companies beginning to report, is there something right. there that we need to be watching just to follow this? I thread? don't think this is going to be a quarter issue. LVMH obviously already reported and right. they, they marked the weakness. That's right. Um, so I, I'm not, it's not a super near-term issue. It's just acknowledgement the stock has done really very well for a long time, as has luxury just generally, especially post the pandemic. Luxury has done really well. And I don't think it's going to crash anytime soon, but we're just actually managing position sizes and, and just taking a little bit off the table and going into cheaper sectors, honestly. All right, got it. Mm -hmm. We'll stick with halftime. Final trades are coming up next. Welcome back, Joe. I want to turn to you real quick. You're seeing something interesting here. Well, absolutely. And, and this is not a good thing. It sets the expectation. You have to keep your eye on the price of oil because it's going to tell you where the price of the S&P is going. So when the price of oil topped out today at 84.65, that's when the trough for the S&P occurred. Oil's now rolling back towards unchanged. The S&P is attempting a little bit of a rally. That's an uncomfortable place to be in. Uh, unfortunately, the macro is taking hold. And in 50 seconds, we're going to get the 10-year option as well. <laughs> All right. And in 50 seconds, we're going to do final trades. So, Rob, head to Jet. It is time for our final trades with Weiss. You're kicking us off. UNH Humana, a lot of talk is about Pfizer and Lilly with their obesity drugs. But you know who benefits the most from a corporate standpoint? The health insurers. Obesity affects 42% of the population. Mm -hmm. It causes so much sickness, cardiac, you know, diabetes, etc. If you have lower instances of that, you have higher profitability at the health insurers. Okay, Amy. Um, Champion X, the ticker CHX. Um, it's a mid-cap uh, oil, mid oil services company um, that focuses on optimization of existing assets. We like it for the long term. Fleet Core Technology. This is a company with double-digit revenue growth financial sector. All right. Well, that does it for halftime. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. 
Imagine a world where your technology helps you rather than hinders you. Together, we can power your tech strategy with one platform and infinite possibilities. At NCR Voix, we help you build differentiated experiences that make sense for your retail, restaurant, and banking businesses. Let's define the future of commerce together. Learn more at ncrvoix.com. ncrvoix.com.